hit me. From Studio P, Sausalito, home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. The number one comedy podcast about comedy... Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast commentator, Mark Hershon. All right. Uh, we have uh, Cole Stratton. As our guest on Succotash, episode, uh, this should be, unless something goes horribly awry, uh, Epi 18, episode 18. So congratulations, you are an adult, just like our podcast. I was told this would be 25. Oh. Well, we're hoping that the insurance rates go down when we turn 25. That's, that's true. That's what we're hoping for. Right. Uh, Cole is in San Francisco, which is uh, a city he knows well, although he no longer resides here. I do not. Uh, he is here as uh, one of the founders, and what's your actual title? Uh, co-founder, co-director. Of SF Sketchfest, which is now in its 11th year. 11 years. 11 years of Sketchfestery. That's right, the big one one. Uh, those of you uh, who are podcast aficionados may also know Cole's name from Pop My Culture, uh, a podcast he co-hosts with Vanessa Ragland. And there's a lot of co-things you do. I do a lot of co-stuff. I don't do a lot alone. I feel like if I ever do a solo show, it'll be like co-solo or something. <laughs> I just can't break that. Just share the stage with somebody? Yeah. yeah. I feel like I want to do, because so many people subject you to solo shows all the time. and like I, They're like my pet peeve now. I can't stand watching them. Especially in Los Angeles where so many of them are just like, my headshot and resume are below the seat. Like they're, <laughs> they're just rigged for them to get work and management and representation out of it, right? Yeah. It's less about like, I have an artistic statement to make. It's just more about like, whatever they can do to sell themselves. So, yeah, so I kind of want to do like a, a solo show at some point that's just literally making fun of all solo shows is a big F you to solo shows. So. Full disclosure, Cole and I actually uh, go way back. Way back. At least in terms of comedy history. Long time, yeah. Um, we were in an improv group together in San Francisco, the mm -hmm. Riffingtons. That's right. As it eventually came to be called. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a number of other names before <laughs> we, we settled on that. And that was through the auspices of... Um, who was it that gave us that name? It was uh, Michael... Was it Michael Meehan? Michael Meehan. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, he came in one night. We were at the club getting ready to go, and he goes, Hey, the Riffers are here. <laughs> and so we somehow came up with the Riffingtons the off Riffington. of that. But we were the house improv group at the old Cobbs Comedy Club. The old school Cannery Cobbs Comedy Club. And, uh, yeah, so we go way back. And um, so it's a pleasure to have you back in uh, in San it's Francisco. Fun to be here. I miss this city. It's nice to come back for a month every year. And, you know, Because most of the time, you're pretty much in Los Angeles. Yep, I'm there full time. So it's uh, nice. It's like I feel like it's a month long kind of probation from LA. You know, <laughs> you get to get out and change the way things are going. And, and it's I mean, like a work furlough program because you actually get some money. That's right. Yeah, I mean, right now if you're working, I, I wish I got to see more of the city than I do when I'm here for Sketchfest because it's like such a crazy whirlwind of 106 shows over 21 days or whatever. So we're constantly just in front of laptops or at shows trying to make things happen. So. And occasionally I go, oh, hi, Trans-American Building. Oh, hi, Alcatraz. <laughs> I recognize you. You're there. You're I remember landmark. you. Yeah. I'm, going to, uh, I'm fumbling around in the background here to get my, my lineup out because we're actually going to try and play kind of our usual retinue of clips, although if we don't get to them all, that's okay. 
they're not they're not paying me to play them, are they? That's right. It's all for free. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the world of podcasting. So much money in podcasting. Oh my god! Um, but let's talk, start out talking about podcasting, and then we'll talk more about Sketchfest as we go. Sure. Um, because uh, you have one of the more popular podcasts that are out there right now. It's weird, right? It's weird. Pop my culture, as I mentioned. Yeah, it's doing really well. Now, how many episodes in are you? We are 65 in currently. So that's more than a year. Yeah, we started in March 2010. We try to do about three a month, every 10 days or so. We, at first, we were like every other week, but then it felt like forever between episodes. But then weekly was just too hard to get guests booked in. So we're not hardcore with our release schedule. We just try to do them roughly every 10 days. Sometimes it's a week. Sometimes it's two weeks. But And there's no days. network executive telling you, you've got to get this thing in on time, damn it, Stratton. Yes, exactly. That's the beauty of it all. <laughs> I mean, we are technically part of a network now, and that we're part of the Nerdist Network. Which is great. We just right. recently went over to them a couple episodes ago. So, um, but they're cool with whenever you know <laughs> we get them episodes, they'll put them up. So before we get to the the clip, we're going to play. What what was the genesis for the format that you guys? First of all, describe the format a little bit, and then what how did it come about? Well, the show is it's myself and my co-host Vanessa Raglan, um, and we have a guest or two or three or four, usually one every episode, and we just chat about. A little bit about what's going on in pop culture at the time, like some gossipy stuff, some you know, TV and film stuff, or whatever's happening at the time. You know, like Charlie Sheen has a meltdown, we'll talk about that, whatever's kind of happening. And then we sort of transition into whatever work that the guest has done, because there's lots of great stories on set stuff, or if they're comics, you know, road stories, or they just riff with us on all sorts of stuff. Uh, and then we kind of play games towards the end, and the whole thing is very conversational and tangential, um, and a lot of fun. Like, the, the whole idea is that it's just goofy shit. There's no, there's nothing important or heavy here. Like we say, tune into fresh air for that. We'll handle the water cooler. So it's just goofy and fun and lighthearted. And, um, we're not there to like delve through the dirt of our guests. It's more like, <laughs> let's celebrate what you've done. Let's talk about some of the yeah. stuff you've worked on. And it's a lot of fun and it enables us to riff and be goofy and stuff. And it's great. Well, one of the things I think is instructional to the podcasters, we have a lot of podcasters who tune into this show is you guys are offering what I think is, is one of those things you can't get on radio, you can't get on television, you certainly can't get in the movies. It's a format that is is very natural, it's very conversational, but it's not sort of the typical podcast. We play a lot of the clips from those kind of podcasts on this show, uh, which is a couple of guys sitting around just kind of shooting the shit. You yeah. guys bring in somebody of interest, you guys are talking about current events, which a lot of these other shows do, but you've got this extra spin on it. You've got people coming in who are kind of give a glimpse behind the scenes and it's never a big deal it's never like uh, well let's tell us another onset story but it kind of gives an extra dimension to what you guys talk about so when you guys talk about pop culture if you guys are talking about kim kardashian you've got somebody who's you know got some exposure to the world of reality television or just television in general right who can kind of give a little bit more insight into what's going on what people are seeing yeah it's fun and it's also good because like we talk about whatever they kind of want to talk about, stuff they're into. Like, if somebody's really into Breaking Bad, we'll talk about Breaking Bad, you know? Like, and they get excited about that because they're not being asked the same things they've been asked a bajillion times and all this stuff. Like, yeah, you know, if Danny Pudi comes on, we're going to talk about community. We're not going to not talk about community, but we'll talk about the Chicago Bears, those Chicago Bears, you know, whatever. Like, we'll kind of go wherever it's going to go. And um, and I'm a junkie for, like, our eyes at stories and just weird things that have happened and stuff like that. And people don't often have the outlet to tell these things, so... It's fun. Well, I liked uh, a few episodes ago you had Jim Rash on from yeah, t- speaking about community. 
And uh, at Crack, we, in fact, I, I featured you guys on my little review I do for uh, This Week in Comedy Podcasting Split over Cider, on Split yeah. Cider, yeah. Um, but it was funny because he was joking about um, being on the set of The Descendants, which he was a, a screenwriter on. Right. And of course, just like every big feature, the screenwriters are never really allowed. They don't want them there. He was yeah. there for what he said, like five days. Like five days. They're hardly ever there, if at all. And the the disappointment he felt, mockingly so, that George Clooney didn't prank him. Yeah. That oh yeah, George Clooney's famous for pulling pranks on people, but he wasn't even there long enough to, to get be pranked. to get pranked. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Was so let's listen to a clip from uh, from Pop My Culture right now. Uh, dragon tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I uh, I saw it also, and I had not read the books. I had not seen the Swedish movie, so I had no expectations. Yeah. So yeah, it was like we had had this Swedish film sitting f- at home from Netflix for like six months, and we finally just went, "Well, we're really close to the Fincher version. Let's just <laughs> let's just start yeah. there. Let's yeah. save our eyes." And yeah, I thought it was really really good. Yeah, um, it was long, but I didn't it didn't feel long. Didn't I thought it was long. paced mm-hmm. really well. I, yeah, um, I felt the same way. And I, I had a friend, same thing, had not read the book, had not seen the Swedish movie, and, and really enjoyed it. Yeah. I guess it, for me it was like, you know, you sort of, yeah. I knew all the characters. I knew, right. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, and uh, I liked the book, and I loved the Swedish movie. I think what stood apart for me was I felt something different about the way they treated women in that movie, uh-huh. in the Fincher version. Like, yeah. I don't know. It felt a little more misogynistic and more, there was something about the other one that ended up with you, like, really feeling like, she was the hero, yeah. and no matter how troubled and disturbed she was, she was the hero. Yeah. And this one had a weird pull, I thought, between like the man being the hero and mm-hmm. her being abused, and I didn't like that as much. I thought it was a great movie, and I really liked it, but I think the other one felt, to me, a little truer to the female character. And what what did you think of that first like the opening credits? This weird that James Bondy, James I Bondy, mean, like let's just coat everybody. Yeah, in let's oil it up. Ink. <laughs> and it was, I, was like, so... I kept trying to think like, oh okay, I guess this is like tattoo yeah. ink bondage <laughs> montage. What? I because I, having seen the movie, I was like, I was watching, going, oh, I don't quite remember how this is connected. Yeah, no. Uh, I think, oh, you know what? Oh, there's that the big, dragon? The big okay. finale in Tar, I guess. It's <laughs> <laughs> what there. It's the, the, the Oh, premonition. this is the Tar Baby part. <laughs> oh, this is, oh, you know, I thought I should have cut this part. I really feel... I feel like it's not sensitive. It's not, it's not sensitive. It's offensive. Because <laughs> yeah, they're like, we know who the killer is, but let's slide around in Tar for a little yeah. while. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. But it really was. I mean, it was engaging to watch, but it was almost... It felt like someone's like, hey, uh, okay, so we shot the movie. It's great. Listen, guys, I shot this other thing. It's not has anything to do with the I've movie. Been looking for I just love it. It's it shot in. beautifully. It's beautiful people covered in black goo. <laughs> I think you're going to love it. Does it fit with the movie? Mm, oh, I don't want to tell Fincher. No, <laughs> that's the executive. Yeah. I don't get it. Okay. I mean, here's the thing. I I liked it in the sense that I thought like that whole opening credit sequence was like an assault on your senses. Mm-hmm. Um, because the smells, the, the, especially yeah, the, all the smells they piped <laughs> in it was a 4D, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but well, I mean, you had like the the cover of Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song, like, but it's like super like like noisy with yeah. lots of stuff in it, and mm-hmm. it's cool with like a driving beat and stuff like that. But then the the like the kind of the graphics match that intensity of the song, yeah, and kind of set you up for the fact that like this movie is kind of like insane in a lot yeah. of ways. So I get that, but like yeah, the actual imagery was like had nothing to do yeah, with anything. It's not like I didn't enjoy it. I was you know, it's just and, like and, whoa, okay, yeah, and sure, you're if cool. He was listening to us, he'd be like, 
you know, you don't fuck get you, it. you don't get it. Yeah, you don't get the baby, you people. Fine, you didn't get it, don't talk about it. Whatever, you know what, go home. Go home, get out my movie theater. Yeah. Guys, those were the personification of Daniel Craig's insecurities as a journalist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and duh. they were represented by people dipped mm-hmm. in goop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. How, how did you and Vanessa get together? I've known Vanessa for a couple of years. We did improv together at uh, Westside Comedy Theater, which is in Santa Monica, and we are on a couple house teams together. And when I thought about starting this, this podcast, which was, again, early 2010, we'd had a couple podcasts at the festival, like Never Not Funny, Doug, Doug Loves Movies, Comedy Death Ray, things like that. And I, at the time, I was like, hey, maybe I should have a podcast. I'm like a pop culture nerd. Like, I've worked at video stores and movie store in and cd stores my whole life and i'm kind of encyclopedic with my knowledge of movies and stuff so i thought it'd just be fun to do kind of a goofy show where we just you know like i said before riff on stuff and vanessa has a very different energy than me like we're very different but we have a really good chemistry together we've known each other forever and i thought it'd be fun one to have a female co-host because so many of these shows are just like dudes yeah. being dudes and i thought it'd be that'd be fun to have that feminine energy in there but she's also like really crazy and energetic and brash and and does characters and just and and can get really nuts on the show too yeah. and i tend to be the more grounded one that brings it back down so which is funny after doing improv with you and you were often the least grounded person on the stage yeah exactly right? <laughs> it's, it's the thing is is like we're committed to being tangential and going wherever it goes but also we over prepare like crazy like i have a list in front of me of like Tons of stuff to talk about. So there's never a chance for it to lull. Mm. Um, we've done a lot of research on our guests, so we're very familiar with their stuff. So even if we haven't seen something that they're famous for or whatever, we'll make sure that we at least you know watch some clips or get more in tune with, with that so we have the knowledge base. Because so, there's one thing I can't stand. It's like interviews where you can tell that the person has no knowledge of who they're interviewing yeah. whatsoever. So you know we try to make sure we prepare and uh, Vanessa and I just have a pretty good rapport, and it's it's worked out. I, I think the the coolest thing about it is we become friends with a lot of these people that didn't know us at all before the podcast. They come on for an hour, and they have a, they had a great time. Then all of a sudden, they just can't stop talking about us, and they, you know, tell their friends to do the shows who are also you know semi famous and whatever. And then they come on, and it just kind of spreads like wildfire from there. Yeah. Um, now you come to podcasting without a whole lot of sort of public knowledge of who Cole Stratton is. Yep. Or Vanessa Raglan. I mean, in L.A., you're known in the, the sketch and improv circles. But as far as the general public across the country or around the world, given the, the stretch of podcasts, you don't have a whole lot of celebrity. Um, so let's let's play a clip from a podcast that does have a little bit of that benefit, and that's uh, The Bugle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, actually an English podcast, but it has John Oliver, who's quite well known from being on... Uh, the Daily Show. Daily Show and Community for a little while. And so Community. Yeah. Had a little recurring role in Community. Um, so anyway, here's a clip from The Bugle. Now, the thing about The Bugle is they have been associated with The London Times uh, for the last almost three and a half years. They've done 178 episodes. And this Crazy. clip is from episode 178 where they have uh, – they're basically saying goodbye. The, the London Times has severed their ties <laughs> with The Bugle. Um, and so this is uh, just uh, this actually they're not dealing with that here. This is uh, John Oliver doing a little bit of an editorial, but uh, we'll be back right after this. Top story this week: Nuke news. Give me an N. Give me a U. Give me a K. Give me a stop. What you're doing right now, or America will bomb you back into the <laughs> Middle Ages. <laughs> Andy, it is only natural to sometimes wonder how close we are to complete Armageddon. 
Um, you can go back and forth on whether we're frighteningly close or reassuringly far away. You might walk in the park and see children playing happily on the swings and think, everything's going to be fine. But then you might turn around and see children trying to set fire to a squirrel and think, everything's going to be really bad instead. <laughs> it's hard to quantify exactly how close we are to self-destruction. Or is it? Because the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists have announced that they've moved their doomsday clock, a symbolic gauge of nuclear danger, one minute closer to midnight because of inadequate progress on nuclear and climate issues. The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists and their complete bullshit clock have attracted <laughs> attention for this scientifically meaningless piece of effective PR catnip before, <laughs> when they moved the clock back a minute in 2010, and that was such a simpler time, Andy, 2010, wasn't it? Yeah. Don't you yearn for those innocent days again? I do. I mean, just the things. The world still had optimism then. Yeah, but and it, now we're basically just on the verge of annihilation. But interestingly, how has the world become more dangerous since then? Because Bin Laden was alive in 2010. <laughs> how is a world without Bin Laden in suddenly more dangerous than a world with him? Was he just a misunderstood hippie, Andy? <laughs> or was he the spectacular Cliff Huxtable that everyone thought he was? <laughs> Are the two mutually exclusive, John? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he might have been a hippie with a few anger management issues. Giant if he hadn't been a hippie, imagine how bad he could have been. I mean, that, that, <laughs> that kept him yeah. in check, if that, Well, that is a, that is a sobering thought. <laughs> uh, Giantha Dhanapala, a member of the uh, BAS Board of Sponsors and a former UN Undersecretary General for Disarmament Affairs, quite a CV, said <laughs> that while Russia-US nuclear relations were improving, others left much to be desired. He said... The failure by the US, China, Iran, India, Pakistan, Egypt and Israel to act on the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty and by North Korea on a treaty to cut off production of nuclear weapons material continues to leave the world at risk from continued development of nuclear weapons. Wow, Andy, Giantha must be a blast to sit next to at <laughs> dinner parties. You had better get ready to spend the entire evening jabbing a fork into your own hand under the table. <laughs> uh, the world is at risk from continued development of nuclear weapons. That's, uh, that's great, Giantha. Do you mind passing the potatoes and then lightening the f*** <laughs> up, please? Uh, <clears throat> what's that, Giantha? You've got a joke for me? Sure, well, why not? Hit me. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know, Giantha. What did happen when an Iranian, an American and a Russian walked into a bar? They failed to come to an agreement on nuclear disarmament and the world slid ever close to the precipice of annihilation of humanity. OK, Giantha, I'm moving chairs now. Please do not follow me. <laughs> they uh, call it the audio newspaper for a visual world. Nice. Um, that's uh, John Oliver and Andy Saltzman. I have it on good authority because they just released today a little two-minute clip that they have landed now that the London Times has shown them the door and given them the sack. Nice. Uh, and just like so many podcasters, they are currently, uh, their, their new home is soundcloud.com. There you go. So, yeah, I know that people were chomping at the bit to add them to their you know arsenal of podcasters. You know, networks popping up all over the place. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like you said, you're with Nerdist and there's uh, Earwolf. Yep. Very popular. Smodcast Network as well. Smodcast. They just picked up Kelly Carlin a couple of months ago. There you go. Who is going to be at Sketchfest. She sure is. She's going to be uh, here. The Carlin Home Companion. Her one-woman show, yep. uh, which I saw uh, the very kind of first staging, other than um, up in Montreal where she did it kind of for the first time, but she did it here um, a few months ago in Mill Valley at the Throckmorton. Right. Um, so she's going to be here on the 27th? 27th, I believe, yeah, at the Eureka Theater. And she's going to talk about coming to San Francisco right now. There you go. 
On the phone from Los Angeles uh, with me is Kelly Carlin. Hello, Kelly. Hello, Mark. And uh, you are bringing your Carlin Home Companion to SF Sketchfest. I am. I'm very excited. Uh, it's going to be on... Friday the 27th. Friday the 27th. Uh, and do you know what venue it's at? Yes, it's at the Eureka Theater at Which, 8 p.m. Great. Eureka's a great little uh, black box theater. I don't know if you've ever been in there. I haven't. No, I was curious about it. Uh, yeah, it's a low ceiling, pretty intimate. Uh, and uh, I think... The last time I was in there, literally, is a black box theater. I mean, it's just cool. so all the focus will be on you. <laughs> nice. Um, I got to see your show when you uh, first put it up at the Throckmorton in Mill Valley, and that was was that four months ago. Uh, it was in November. Yeah, so uh, three three months ago. Yeah. And you've been working on it diligently, um, doing shows uh, down in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, working it out, doing lots of uh, kind of tech and dress rehearsal type things. Uh, this Friday, I'll be at the Santa Monica Playhouse doing a a real live full on show. And uh, yeah, Paul Paul Provenza, who's directing it and has been helping me uh, shape it and carve it out and all of that. Uh, we've been working hard on it, so I think it's in good shape now. Great. And how how are you feeling about it? I'm feeling really good about it. I'm. Uh, Completely off book now. When you saw it, I was still using some music stands and yes. reading from it a little bit, but I'm completely off book now. And uh, Friday night will be my first time in front of a large audience off book and uh, see what my nerves do to all uh-huh. of that. <laughs> well, that'll, that'll give you a lot more confidence, I think, in terms of your physicality. I'm sure that you're yeah. not sort of anchored to those pages anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. A, lo- a lot of more freedom physically and emotionally. It really helps me... Uh, engage with the material and and that's really where I'm at with it right now since I'm just recently off book I'm I'm really enjoying uh discovering uh what you know what all the layers are and what are all the beats and what's the big emotional through lines and stuff so it's it's so much like an onion you're just always peeling another layer yeah uh, well since I, I interviewed you uh, fairly at length about things when you were a guest on the show. Uh, why don't you just give us a little thumbnail of what people can expect uh, to see if they're not familiar with the show, which uh, a lot of folks haven't had a chance to be exposed to it yet. Yeah, well, it, it's a solo show, but it's unique in the sense that I, I track my father's career through videos uh, throughout the show and, and talk about his career and use his career arc as as kind of a parallel storyline and one that weaves in uh, with our own personal story first as a family and then uh, my uh, you know my relationship with my father throughout my life and and so it spans 1960 from the day my parents met all the way to um, uh, my father's death mm, right. and uh, so it, it is it's a it's a real you get the professional stuff. You get to laugh at George Carlin, and then I take you through the literal roller coaster ride of the the kind of comedy and and tragedy that you know makes up any American family, and this one just happens to be the family of the Carlins. Right, right. Uh, well, it's great, and uh, for for folks to get tickets, I think if they just go to sfsketchfest.com, they can probably set that up. Yes, I believe you go to schedule. I'm on day nine and uh, click through there and you can find me. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to a few days in San Francisco and the Eureka Theater and uh, Bay Area folks. And 
and getting an Irish coffee down at the Buena Vista. <laughs> there you go. Well, we're looking forward to having you back up here. I, I, as I mentioned uh, to you uh, offline, I think I'm going to be out of town, but if I am going to be here, I'll definitely uh, make the scene for sure. It would be great to see you, Mark. Okay, Kelly, thanks and have a great show. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. So there's Kelly Carlin, uh, who's uh, she's actually a really nice person. Um, I've gotten to know her really just through, originally through Twitter, weirdly enough. I got my first interview with her by, by talking to her. I met her at the Throckmorton when she came up to do um, a version of uh, Mind the Gap. Uh, she was, They came up so from L.A. You guys had a tweet queue, as I'm calling it now. TM, uh, registered, copyright. Tweet queue? You know, like a meet queue. Yeah. But it was on Twitter, so it's a tweet queue. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. There you go. So uh, that's how we got to, to know each other. Um, so check out, if you're going to be in San Francisco uh, on the 27th for Sketchfest, definitely check out Kelly's uh, A Carlin Home Companion. Uh, now, you, uh, uh, before we, we staged this interview, I, I had sent you some clips of, of stuff we were going to play on the show so you'd be familiar with some of the clips I'd built, pulled. Right. And I'd ask you to, to name some shows that you enjoy. And here's the first one from uh, Never Not Funny. And uh, I'll fill in some some information at the end of the clip about where people can hear that but what about uh, never not funny uh, you know what let's play the clip and we'll talk about it after sure Come on. how long does it usually take you I've, I've never asked you this how long does it usually take if there's no complications no traffic at all to get here yeah. 22 minutes okay you give me 22 minutes i'm gonna give you that drive <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what's gonna happen on that i'm gonna give you kdwb uh-huh is that kdwb or K- kfwb yeah. kfwb you give me 22 minutes we'll give you the world that was uh I think it was WMAQ in Chicago. WMAQ will give you 22 minutes to give us the world. They do traffic on the H, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, weather so. on the twos. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. They, what are you talking? Traffic and weather go together. <laughs> Don't embarrass yourself with the weather on the twos. <laughs> traffic the and weather on the H. Elliot, sports is not on the twos. Sports, you do a sweep at the top and the bottom. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like I'm talking to two new human beings in here today. You were speaking a whole new language last week. I don't know what this is all about. I got Fonzie sitting on my right. Got a gentleman that's got to get out of here. He's got an audition for West Side Story, apparently. I was, I was speaking yep. a new language because I referenced the stamp with the upside down plane, and that completely <laughs> threw you. You honestly have never heard Whoa. of that? What? You've never heard of that? About what? It's in Brewster's Millions. Planes can't fly upside down, Matt. <laughs> it's not. It was a mistake. That's why it's worth so much. Uh, you're damn right it's a mistake. That's why. Uh, that's probably why it crashed. <laughs> yes. Can't, planes are not meant to go upside down. Unless Have you ever seen Brewster's a... Millions with Richard Pryor? What's that? What are you asking? What's your question? Have you ever seen Brewster's Millions? With who? With Richard Pryor. No, he was dead by the time I saw that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it with my uh, wife, and I saw it with... <laughs> With, uh, come on, that's the best that joke's ever worked. I've been doing that joke since high school. Uh, nah, I never saw Brewster's Millions. You know, I wasn't the, on board with Pryor like the rest of the comedy community was. <laughs> that's not a true story. You're not, not a fan. Not a fan of him was, breaking down barriers okay. and doing things uh, uh, well, effectively. I, what? Honestly, he had, he had a spotty movie resume I, I would say he was not a, he did not make one not you know amazing movie Wrong. after another. The toy. Genius. I love I love the toy. Uh, the other thing, Stir Crazy, fantastic. I don't know if you're being Silver Streak. No, Stir Crazy I enjoyed. Yeah. He was good. He and Gene Wilder. Yeah. It's nice chemistry. Silver Streak, uh, that's kind of where they just kind of threw him in there at the end. But he had some turkeys, and Brewster's Millions might have been one of them. Oh, he had nothing but turkeys. They also come. <laughs> uh, except for that Live in the Sunset Strip. That's not 
Jimmy Pardo and his cast of Never Not Funny can be found at Pardcast, P-A-R-D-C-A-S-T dot com, also over on iTunes. So, what is it about Never Not Funny that uh, that uh, gets your uh, gets your interest going? Well, I mean, it's one of the first podcasts I ever listened to. Um, so, for me, it like kind of sparked my interest in podcasting in general. Uh, Pardo is one of the funniest people on the planet, in my opinion. He's so quick and so great, and 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 I think it's a good. He and Matt work really well together. Yeah, um, I think I actually feel like I'm sort of similar to Matt Belknap. Like we have that same kind of like oh, that's funny. Yeah, kind of drive the show in a sense. Keep it, you know, it's Jimmy's show, but Matt will be the one to kind of bring it back down to earth a little bit. Or he and he always pops in like really good cutting jokes <laughs> yeah. that aren't always appreciated. I think you know what I mean. So. Uh, I love their combination when they add Pat Francis to it. It's always great too, uh, mostly because it's just fun to have Jimmy to have that kind of foil, just somebody that he feels like he can just relentlessly rip on the entire episode. Yeah, um, but they're such good friends; they can do it. Um, I just think it's just a great, fun, goofy time all the time. Um, one podcast that we we both independently selected to include in the show is uh, one that I'm new to, which is uh, Jordan Jesse Go. Yay! With uh, Jesse Thorne, uh, who is on a lot of podcasts, he, he is, uh, yeah. he's with uh, John Hodgman. He plays he plays his bailiff on Judge John Hodgman, uh, and uh, it's all part of the um, MaximumFun.org network, which is one more, which is Jesse's little universe network yeah. of shows. And he's on here with uh, Jordan Morris, and uh, the episode that I pulled a clip from is uh, with uh, Eddie Pepitone, another guy who. Cannot make more rounds yeah. of podcasts. He does a ton of stuff, yeah. He does, uh, and he's very funny. Um, so here's a clip from... Uh, Jordan, Jesse, go. I'm Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Jordan Morris, boy detective. Eddie Pepitone, the bitter Buddha. Um, Eddie Pepitone, by the way, brand new comedy album called A Great Stillness. Yes, you can get that uh, on iTunes and Amazon. And uh, I it's bet doing the- well, by the way. I don't know why. Huh. I don't know why. Probably your, it's probably your immense talent for comedy. Maybe that's that it. That's Maybe that's probably the key reason. I had such a good show. I was so lucky. It was at Gotham in New York, and oh. Pat Oswald opened for me. Sure. And it was a magical night. Um, didn't expect it. I wasn't even really recording an album. The doc guys filmed me, and it just turned out to be really good. And you just figured you'd, you, just, you just had the audio. You're like, that's so good. Yeah. That's what, exactly what we did. Yeah. And self-published it. Yeah. What, what are we looking at? Nine ninety five. On iTunes, nine ninety five. Amazon, it's like about a buck and a half at this point. Wait a no, minute. No, no, no. Hold on. <laughs> they they, they lowered on. it though. They lowered. Eddie, it. hold on. <laughs> you're yes. thinking of a you're thinking of a replacement AV cord. That's what you could get. <laughs> oh yeah, on Amazon a- for a dollar. God, I love when the AV cords come up on antiques roadshows. Oh god, god that's that a great, is fun. The AV uh, cord sure appraiser. This sexuality. Really? What kind of socks does he wear? (laughs) Are they funny? You don't get to see the socks. Oh, okay. Except sometimes on the keynote. You really only get to see the sexuality. (laughs) Gotcha. Yes. And in this case, it's through the roof. Yeah. Track down Jesse Thorne and Jordan Morris over at Jordan Jesse Go. They're on MaximumFun.org and on iTunes, of course. Uh, I love those guys. I've, I've known them forever as well. Jesse and Jordan were in a, a sketch group at uh, Santa Cruz. Oh, really? Um, no kidding. Called Prank the Dean that did sketch us very early. Uh, okay. And Jesse actually was a publicist for us one year. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh, that's I've known funny. those guys for a long time. So it's great that you know they've blown up as much as they have. Yeah. Now, how, I'm not sure how many episodes they even have. They've been going for a while? Yeah, a long time. They have hundreds. 
Oh, really? Okay. I, did, I was on one of them. I think I was on like 136 or 143 oh, wow. okay. or something. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're fun. They're great guys. And they such great rapport. And they really put you at ease. Um, so from that, let's listen to Eddie Pepitone in his sort of, I'll call it his home podcast. That's right. Which is uh, the Long Shot Podcast. The holidays to me are like what were the holidays hurricane season because because they're so hard to get through i think i feel emotionally they're a bitch and when they're a fucking be something bitch. more specifically yeah, hurricane related and lots of rain yeah a mo- emotional so windy and rainy an emotional <laughs> hurricane we drink a lot of rum <clears throat> An emotional the holidays hurricane. to me are like a hurricane season because we put tape on the windows and then nothing happens no it's an emotional <laughs> hurricane is what i meant do you really feel that way yes why? I don't like the holidays at all. They Why? stress me out. Because, first of all, every, like, my routine is thrown off. It's like, you know, oh, I didn't even know you had a routine. I have a somewhat of a routine that involves meditation, power walking, right. you know, auditioning, feeding the squirrels. Feeding the squirrels auditioning. So auditioning is part of your routine. Because I've always mm-hmm. felt like auditioning isn't routine. It's something that comes up. Fairly regularly. I mean, being connected to the entertainment industry. But what happens to me, and this is my head, I guess, yes. is that I, I, you know, I hate the holidays. But on the other hand, I go, oh, my God, it's the holidays. I don't have to do anything. Oh, and yeah. it's a weird fucking thing. And I, I don't have to die. I want. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I really. I like how you both reached for each other. At that moment. <laughs> Amber and Eddie, both in the moment where they connected. On, they both instinctively, without looking at each other, they both said, you can eat whatever you want and reach for each other's hands. People who it. have overeaten during the holidays reach for each other after the holidays. <laughs> or they can imagine. But so that's just you going off your routine. It's not that the holidays fuck up your routine. It's a mental thing with yeah, you. Yeah, and I also say, well, it's the holidays, so I can do anything. Mm-hmm. And that fucks me up. Anything meaning anything lifting meaning, a car or... No, you know, a- any indulgence. You know what I mean? I mean... It, it, it's it's a and then I, and then what happens is that I get bummed out that I've gone off the rails as far as all the shit I that like I you, should be you doing. You live a life as many of us do of constant self recrimination. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know like, that's true. Acting too. one way and then going why. Why did I do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm still so fucked up with that. And my shrink has been out of town. And I, I've been a little pissed at her. Like, what do you mean? You're leaving oh, again? Sorry, town. <laughs> <laughs> she came back for a week or two and then split again. Gotta go again. <laughs> we love those guys. Played them before. We'll play them again. That's the Long Shot Podcast. Eddie Pepitone, Sean Conroy, Jamie Flam, and Amber Kenny over at thelongshotpodcast.com. Also look for him on iTunes. Yeah, and big shout-out to Jamie Flam, who's on that show. He's yes. one of my oldest friends, too. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, we used to do uh, that same group with Vanessa Raglan at Westside. Jamie was in. Okay, group great. Ladies and gentlemen. So we all know each other going back a long time ago. And Sean Conroy, we know from UCB and stuff. Sure. And Amber's great, too. And then so. he's he's often on uh, Improv for Humans, which which we don't have yeah. a clip from today. Conroy's great. He's one of the best improvisers out there. He's yeah, he's fabulous. a funny guy. Yep. Succotash merchandise is finally here. That's right. You've been asking for it. Not really. You've been beating down our door. We don't really have a door for you to beat down, but we do have merchandise. Uh, It's not very much. It's some t-shirts and coffee mugs. Uh, We can make more merchandise because we're uh, doing it all through Cafe Press. 
So if you go up to our web store and don't see something you want in terms of a type of clothing or some sort of Guga, then uh, just let me know and we'll put our logo on something else. But uh, for the time being, if you uh, want to dress yourself in succotash, go to hirsch.co slash succotashery. What? Yeah, that's right. Hirsch.co slash succotashery. And if you don't want to write any of that down, just go to succotashshow.com and click on the store link to dress yourself in glorious succotashery. So let's uh, get back to talking a little bit more about Sketchfest. How did how did that get going? Well, it started in this is our eleventh year, so two thousand January two thousand two, and uh, we all met at San Francisco State. Me, uh, David Owen, Janet Barney, who are the co-founders, along with Gabriel Diani, had a group called Totally False People, and we were a sketch group. We didn't really have a place to play because there's not really venues for sketch. Nobody gets it. If you go to a comedy club, it's like, what are they doing? Uh, you can go to a theater, but you'd have to rent one for a while. There's not, they, you couldn't just one off. At the time, there was a couple of like really tiny venues, like the Mott Cafe at the time, and later Spanganga, but not a lot of places to play. Unlike L.A. and New York, where there are a few sketch places, and Chicago, of course, Second right. City, things like that. But here in San Francisco, it has never been a sketch town. It really hasn't. Um, and a little bit of improv at bats and things like that. But not really a place to play. So we banded together with five other local troops at the time. Casper Hauser, who... Still going strong. They're fabulous. Uh, White Noise Radio Theater, Mehem Brothers, uh, Please Leave the Bronx, and Fresh Robots. Um, and we run into the theater for a month in Shel- uh, called the Shelton Theater in Union Square. 75-seat black box. Called it a sketch fest, thinking that that would be an angle or whatever. <laughs> Had two groups co-headline every night doing 45-minute sets. And the last week, do cabaret-style, everybody doing short sets. Chronicle ran a story on it, and we sold everything out. So after that, you know, we're like, oh, maybe we're doing something right here. So the year two, we opened it up to submissions for groups to come in. We moved to the Eureka Theater, where we're still at as one of our venues, 200 seats. And we managed to get Fred Willard, Hollywood Players Group that he was in, and uh, Upright Citizens Brigade, minus Amy at the time. So the three guys to take a, you know, chance in our festival. And that sort of worked. And then every year, we just kind of expanded it a little more from there, added a couple more venues, and... Now we're you know, 15 venues over eight, 21 days, 106 shows with ton, like over 400 performers. If you count actual bodies that are coming through town, uh, so yeah, it's crazy that it's just gotten as big as it is. And it's still like three of us that run it, a small staff that comes on like around festival time. But now, do you guys still have open submissions in any way, yeah, shape, we or sure form? Still, yeah, we yeah. definitely do. We get over, you know, we get hundreds of submissions every year. To, kind of weed through and it's a, it's a very tough selection process but, i'm sure because um, the the space available for for those sketch groups is pretty minimal yeah it's hard to like you know there's a lot of great groups I and mean, we have to take note of groups we really like it's just that we don't have a place to program them or you know they don't make the first cut initially and there's nothing we can really do after that point but you know some people get in after a couple of years of, of, of you know any as applying to the festival um, but yeah, it's, it's become this big thing, and it's it's crazy how big it's gotten. Do you think there's a market for someone to do a sketch slam, like slam dance at Sundance? It's just kind of an <laughs> off off festival yeah, sketch yeah, festival. That, that's when it'll get weird. Is when <laughs> that starts to happen um, over in Oakland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're trying to branch out there a little bit. We're doing a couple of shows in Oakland this year. Is okay, first time over the there, Pan so. Theater. Or? Uh, over at uh, Yoshi's. Oh, Yoshi's. Yeah, yeah. We're doing a. Um, and Magnuson's doing a couple shows. Oh, cool! And uh, Reggie Watts and Robert Glasper are doing a jazz collaboration. Oh, great! Yeah, Yoshi's is a great, yeah. great venue. Yeah, so it's exciting. It keeps getting bigger, and there's still just three of us, so it keeps getting harder. But it's uh, it's still a lot of fun, and you know, it's still very grassroots. We don't have major corporate underwriting or anything. When did you, in your 11 year history, when did you guys suddenly realize this is actually a thing now? 
Um, I mean, pretty early on. I mean, a couple of years in, we realized we were building something good. But now it's like we, you know, we get more national attention now. Everybody's aware of it. We yeah. get people pitching their clients to us, so it's not so much like we have to, you know, beg and plead people to come. Yeah, like we used to. You know, it's it's people want to come back. They come back every year, and it just gets bigger and better every year. So. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's like when we started out uh, our, with our sketch group, we named ourselves after a line in Mark McKinney's bio in his <laughs> Kids in the Hall tour program, which said, like, rumors that he was gay. Totally false people. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, totally false people where we grabbed that from. Because we were big comedy nerds, loved Kids in the Hall. And, you know, first we got uh, Bruce to come and do a show solo, and then Dave Foley came and did something solo, and then Scott Thompson came and did something solo, and then finally we got all the Kids in the Hall there. And now, you know, we're pretty close with a lot of them. And it's that's when we realize, like, wow. like <laughs> That's great. That's a thing. Our idols, like, know us and want to be here and want to come back and love us. And it's crazy. Why don't you give the uh, the website so people can... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, it's sfsketchfest.com. That's easy enough. Yep. And it plays through February... February 4th. 4th. We decided to not compete with the Super Bowl because we're not crazy. Probably smart. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you don't need to do an exhaustive rundown. People can go to the site and see. But who are some of the, the names that come to immediately to mind that you guys have coming up in the next couple of weeks? Uh, Eddie Izzard. It's one of our big shows. Um, uh, Upright Citizens Brigade, the full cast with Amy Poehler. Wow, okay. Um, yeah, we're doing a Wet Hot American Summer live radio play <laughs> with a bunch of the cast, like, redoing their parts, like Chris Maloney and... Paul Rudd and uh, a bunch of people. So nice. That's pretty killer. Drew Carey, who's also doing an appearance on my live pop my culture. Okay, pretty cool. Um, gosh, tons of people. We're doing a Rocky Horror screening with Barry Bostwick. Um, yeah, if, if, uh, for those of you who are within hailing distance of San Francisco, if you've never been to Sketchfest, or even if you have, uh, this year's lineup is pretty amazing. Uh, so definitely check out their website. Uh, get tickets while you can. They're going to go fast for a lot of these big ones. Anything sold out yet? I a mean, lot of stuff sold out, yeah. Is it? We open, um, well, I don't know when this airs, but like pretty much now. Right. So uh, a bunch of our stuff our first weekend is, is totally sold out, which is great. I mean, it bodes well for everything. Sure. It's great. So there's definitely a demand for a ton of stuff. So, yeah, it's nice. That's a nice position to be in. It is, indeed. Um, let's uh, get back into uh, the clips. And this is uh, one from... Uh, one that I've been hearing a lot about. This is the first time I've actually listened to the show. Uh, so maybe you can talk a little bit about um, what you know about the genesis of this after we get back. But uh, here's a clip from uh, the Thrilling Adventure Hour. My name is Jay Silverheels. I am known as Tonto from the Lone Ranger television program. A man named Ben Chapman has been my greatest friend. He has recently forsaken me for my sins. Chapman's girlfriend, Marnie Bennett, worked for Alfred Hitchcock until she went missing. I will find her, and in so doing, find my own redemption. Her journal brought me to the actor Jimmy Stewart, who I believe would help me find Marnie. But he had other plans. On two sides of the same tomahawk, Geronimo. A girl got herself disappeared in search of the brotherhood. Unhook your ears and I'll lay down the sad tale. Last time I saw Marnie, we tracked the brotherhood to Musso and Franks. It was closed for a private party, but being Jimmy Stewart opens doors. We settled into a booth and took in the scene. The scene took us in right back and offered company. 
James, old man, and you must be Marnie Bennett. Your mother is Phyllis Bennett, met her once, lovely woman. Not that you aren't, mind you. What's that they say about apples and where they fall in regard to trees? They sure don't fall far from them, apples don't. No, they certainly do not. Ha <laughs> ha, why look at you. You're the only ones not eating. Tobias, servings for James and Miss Bennett. I ain't hungry. Just some wine, then. How about you, Miss Bennett? Marnie. Marnie it is. You'll join us in a meal, won't you, Marnie? Oh, sure. Before you get too far gone, Dolly, let me tell you. The words don't match the music. Horse fingers, Jimmy. I'm famished, and this is delicious. It is delicious. Change your mind, old man. Not too late. Consider taking the air, Archibald. Pass. Consider what happened the last time we wound up too close. Fisticuffs ensued, as I recall. Oh, I'm glad you remember it. You took a blow to the head or seven. Yes, well, last time you took me quite by surprise. Had I been prepared, we would have told rather a different tale in the third reel, I'm afraid. But I shan't spoil my meal. No, exigencies such as your appearance are precisely why I brought my friend. Harpo Marks, meet Marnie Bennett. I do believe you know James. Well, now, Harpo's one square from Delaware you don't want to cut rough with, Geronimo. Next thing you know, you'll be playing in the harp section, you get me? So I cop copacetic to keep the cool. All right, Archibald, take off your stomping shoes. I'll behave. And I did, till after dinner when Archibald let out with... Say, did you ever meet Otis Hunter? Oh, sure. A stuntman. Strangers on a Train was his last picture. Otis Hunter was unparalleled in the stunt milieu. Best of the best. He had muscles on his muscles. But he was an absolute sweetheart. A real pussycat, Otis Hunter. And he was delicious. Wouldn't you agree? Tender for an athlete. More like roast duck than anything else. But perhaps it's how he was prepared. Oh, don't look so shocked, my dear. Why, whatever did you think we were eating? What? Little girl, the Brotherhood of the Papyrus is, among other things, an Epicurean club. Law and expedience play no part in our menu, but you shall. The Thrilling Adventure Hour can be found at thrillingadventurehour.com and iTunes. What can you tell me about it? I don't. I mean, I know some of the names associated with it, but I'm, I'm thrilling is great. It's uh, it's it's. They do it every month at Lario in Los Angeles. Uh, ben Acker and Ben Blacker, the Bens, as they're called, run it and write it. Um, and it's it's basically a serialized show in the nature of an old 1940s radio play. So they do it live. It's like a live somebody at the computer doing the sound effects, and there's a band that plays the Andy Paley Orchestra. Um, and then these a lot of famous actors come and do it because it's fun. Yeah. The scripts are in hand. It's done like a radio play. Uh, and there's just serialized things. There'll be Sparks, Nevada, Marshall on Mars, or Beyond Belief, um, which has, like, Paula Tompkins and Padgett Brewster always do that. Um, and all these people, and it's great. And they always have guest stars and stuff. And it's just a lot of fun. They have ads, fake ads for, like, uh, Patriot brand cigarettes, which uh, does the whole thing. And it's, it's, if you're ever in L.A., it sells out pretty much all the time now. I think largely because you have people like Nathan Fillion doing it all yeah. the time. Oh, that's cool. Um, and it's only 25 bucks, so, like, you can't beat it. But yeah. it's, if you're ever in Los Angeles, just buy a ticket ahead of time go. You'll love it. That sounds great. Yep. Um, next up, let's uh, play a clip from another show that's new to me. I don't You may be familiar with it. I don't know. Um, but it's also from uh, the Nerdist Network. 
Uh, it's uh, You Made It Weird. And this is uh, uh, Pete Holmes with his guest Nick Kroll in this clip. Well, anyway, this is obviously we're uh, talking to Nick Kroll. This is You Made It Weird, and I'm your host, Peter Holmes. You just made that weird. Yeah, yeah, that's my gift. <laughs> So we've, we've toured together a little bit, Nikki. And, uh, oh, we hit the road hard. We Oh, God, road dogs, you and I. We've done it, what, four or five colleges together? How are people going to feel about what I assume will be an echo in here? I don't know. I also How are you going to feel? I, no echo? I hear a trickling water. There's a fountain outside. Ooh. <laughs> Bathroom breaks? Out the window, into the fountain is what I'm saying. Absolutely. You love shit food. I love fried chicken. You love Take Five. I like Take Five candy bars. You love bars. Take Five, but you can't... Why do I remember this? You can't beat a Twix, I believe. No, you, you can. You Twix. You can beat a Twix with, with a Take Five candy bar. Oh, uh, that's the only one that beats a t- uh, Twix? And Twix is always, Twix is always solid. This isn't... I, I like candy bars. <laughs> I, I really like the Take Five. But if I eat them too much, there are periods where I'd be eating them too much. This is so asinine. <laughs> this is so banal. Is it banal? It's just like uh, You know guys. what? Honestly, the five people that respond to your podcast... Yeah. The some one, at least one of them yes. is going to be like finally someone is talking about the Take Five candy bar. I guarantee it. Is, it. It's an underrated candy it's bar. It's a weird. It's it's like it's like the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Like they win the World Series and yet nobody has any idea. That's that what they're, the Take Five candy yeah, bar. Yeah, that they're in the major leagues. Yeah. You know what I'm troubled by recently, and I'm sorry, I'm so food centric. I don't know why. I must be watching some food documentaries recently. Is that yeah, there's that's an- what it is. You son of a bitch. <laughs> there's animal products in Take Five. I never think about that. Well, there's. You mean beyond like milk? Well, there's milk and mm-hmm. milk. Yeah, there's milk, but like it, it, it shows up in the caramel and new all that sort of stuff. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. The chocolate, and I just never think about like it's just in there, like cow information. Yeah, you think of it just be. I, I when I think of a candy bar, I think they take sugar and they whip it up in like a centrifuge, and like a take five comes out. Right. But at some point, like no, that's a, that's what they do with like those energy bars or like you know nutrient protein bars. Like that's made in a laboratory in a in a way because I'm like, oh, the candy bar is like not healthy. But then I'm like, those like crazy like detour those like yeah those things can't be those have to be worse for you. You mean like Luna bars? Yeah, and such. Yeah. I'm just getting a little freaked out by animal products. I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not a vegan. But I, I get a little bit concerned with where the milk from a corporation that doesn't give a fuck about me is coming from. Sure. Take five couldn't Nestle. They couldn't will shoot you as soon as feed you a take five. So I, I'm just like, wh- what kind of rancid, like fucking anorexic cow? Just like, oh, please <laughs> relieve me. And they're like fucking gray milk. And they're like, put that yeah. in the take five. And I just eat it while watching a movie with you. Yeah, and it, and it tastes just delicious. And it's so good. Because there's crunchy pretzels and and <laughs> well, thick caramel. and uh, It is a thicker caramel. A nutty, a nutty peanut. Is there peanut in it? Yeah, it's five things. It's milk chocolate, it's pretzels, it's peanut butter, <laughs> it's peanuts. <laughs> and it's... Um, well, that that's a stretch. It's, it's like a take four and a half. And no, it's yeah. peanuts and peanut butter. I might be... I'm, I'm, I, I feel like it's... Take five. It's milk chocolate. Yeah. Caramel. Yeah. Pretzels. Yep. Peanut butter for sure. Sure. And then I guess it's got, I think it's peanuts. Here come the at replies. Yeah. <laughs> at Nick Kroll on Twitter. Tell him what at the Nick fifth Kroll. thing is. I know you killed yourself six months ago, <laughs> but I just have a comment on this now defunct <laughs> podcast. Write the note in a melted take five. That would be ideal. 
Would you please? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, you're 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 the best. Thanks so, for thanks for doing the show. Okay, thanks. Well, this has been great. <laughs> you made it weird. Uh, there's, uh, I think, his most recent uh, episode. He uh, uh, is doing an interview with uh, Mark Maron. Nice. Uh, which I haven't heard yet, but it's up this week, so I'm going to check that out. And you should, too. Yeah, Pete's great. Damn he's, it. Uh, he's going to be here at the festival. He yeah. will be at the festival. He's uh, part of our SF Sketch Fest Dozen, which is like co-headliners of like kind of up-and-coming stand-ups you might not know who are fantastic. Oh, cool. Uh, he is also the voice of the E-Trade Babies. A lot of people don't know that. I did yeah, not know that myself. Oh, that's funny. So, um, yeah, he's he's fantastic. And so is Nick Kroll, who, who couldn't make it this year due to his schedule, like, because he's got a show coming out. Like, yeah. He's... One of the funniest people you'll ever meet. He's an amazing impressionist. Too. Definitely, yeah, he's a great guy. Um, so that's you made it weird over on Nerdist, uh, featuring a lot of shows from Nerdist. Uh, not because you guys are on it, uh, not because I'm trying to get Chris Hardwick on the show someday. No, not at all. Just happens to be. There you go. Happens to be. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit more, sort of about um, podcasts in general. If you don't know anybody, you don't really know anything about. Uh, how do I get a guest on a show? What should my show be about? Um, I mean, the answers are probably pretty obvious, but what sort of advice do you have for people that go, man, this is so much, this sounds like so much fun. How do, how do they get started? Well, I think it's important to figure out if you want to do a show, like what is your show and like how can it stand apart from all these other shows? Because there's 35,000 shows on iTunes I heard recently. And that, that's a lot of shows to try to f- stick out from. Um, so find an angle, um, and really think out your show, even if it's conversational, like have a niche for it. Uh, and then decide if you need a co-host, if you need a guest, I recommend co-hosts because it's easier to like bounce ideas off of. Share the load. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what's great about having guests, like I find is like, it just changes the vibe of every show. So it's just going to always be fresh for you to continue to do it. So I recommend that. And then it's just about, uh, make sure it sounds good. Like, yeah. you know, buy some equipment. It's not that expensive nowadays. You can buy a, a decent little mixing board for like a hundred bucks. Mike's for like 50 bucks, you know? So, yeah. you know, a couple hundred bucks, you've got a decent You're podcast setup that's going to sound okay. So I recommend that. And then just, you know, just find your, find your angle and really work on it. What do you think of a show that would like feature clips from other comedy podcasts and then interviews with people that are in the world of comedy? It would never work. Fuck! God damn it! <laughs> damn it! You're listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast. Podcast. We'll be back after this message from our sponsor, Henderson Pants. This portion of Suckatash is brought to you by Henderson's innovation in pantaloons and trousers since 1896. Almost 80 years ago, when Grandpa Al Henderson was struggling to raise a family during the Great Depression, he did what any unemployed family man would do. He shoplifted food. But he did it the right way and never got caught because he used his patented Henderson's kleptomatic trousers, made with pride in the USA with not four, not five, but 11 expandable pockets that drape and shape naturally while stylishly concealing fresh fruits and vegetables, eggs, even live poultry, and feed a family of five while never once alerting market vendors or law enforcement officials. Well, as they say, everything old is new again. And now, Henderson's is proud to offer Kleptomatic Plus, microchip equipped to neutralize barcode scanners, exit alarms, and other loss control detectors, so you can walk through any door with confidence. That's Henderson's Kleptomatic and Kleptomatic Plus trousers, helping you provide with confidence in every stride. 
And now, back to more of Succotash. Oh, thank you, Bill Haywatt and uh, the folks at Henderson Pants who still have not paid us a goddamn dime those for those commercials. Yeah. Assholes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but um, next summer, Henderson shorts are coming out. Oh, man. What the? Yeah. Henderson Capris have already rolled in certain markets. They're yeah. trying those out, but Henderson shorts, they're... Yeah, well, they're, if they've got them coming out, they're going to be on this show. Right. I'll tell you that right and now. And Henderson Squirts. Nice. Skirt short combination for athletic ladies. Nice. Yeah. Let's uh, get back to some real podcastery. This is a great comic. You guys have had him a lot. Uh, and his show is very inventive and uh, very funny. Uh, the Paul F. Tomcast. In the recent past, a group of creative giants collaborated on an epic artistic endeavor, ultimately abandoned and hidden from the public. A series of covert recordings tell the tale of this ill-fated venture. But who made these recordings, and why? This is The Great Undiscovered Project. Previously on The Great Undiscovered Project. An idea like this could change cinema forever. I think when Andy said all that, he was being sarcastic. We do not have sarcasm in Germany. What do you think, Gary? I guess I don't care either way. Icedy, this car is wonderful. It's so roomy. I want to fill it with my voice. Yeah, I know how you feel, Go-Go, but resist that temptation, all right, player? I got to drive this thing. There's some videos back there. Why don't you watch some? I don't feel like watching videos. So, hey, this is awesome that we're all together. I mean, that most of us are together. Why are you glaring at me when you say that? But I'm still not exactly sure what this is all about. Wait, d'accord. I agree with John C. Riley. Why you have summoned us to your gigantic SUV, I see? <laughs> I love it, I love it. I got y'all asking, what is the meaning of this? Like we in some black and white movie. I wish I had my travel brandy snifter right now. Please, I see. You have gone to all the trouble of loading me into this car and arranging me in a natural-looking position. But my leg, she started to fall asleep. Please share with us your intentions. I, Mr. Brainwash, I. You want all business, you got it. I had a little creative powwow with Andrew Lloyd Webber and Gary Marshall the other day and some German dude who's a big fan of mine. Basically, we're going to reinvent cinema with this movie, that's all. What? Well, this is so exciting, but how? Okay, so instead of all the actors playing parts that are just, like, assigned to them, we're all going to make up our own characters. Then Andrew Lloyd Webber's going to put all the different stories together, and then, I don't know, we all get Oscars, I guess. Well, hold on, I mean... We can just be whoever we want? Absolutely. Now, who you want to be? I don't know. Who are you going to be? Oh, man, you're going to be sorry I went first because I got the best character. I'm going to be a vampire cyborg. It's like I was a vampire, right? And then, like, maybe one of my arms and a leg and half my face got touched by some sunlight or holy water, and then I got robot parts to replace them. That's fantastic! Also, I'm one-quarter mummy, but I think I'm just using that for backstory. So, you're saying we can literally be any character? That's what I'm trying to tell you, son. The world's your oyster. You could even be an oyster if you want. It's somebody else's job to make it make sense. This is total unfettered creative freedom. I think I need to stretch out in the way back and collect myself. Take your time, man. I knew this would be hardest on you. Okay, Riley, what about you? Well, if we can really be anything we want... Anything, man. You heard my oyster comment, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, here goes. The character I've always wanted to play is 
And don't laugh, okay? Yeah, I can't promise you that, man. Okay. I have always wanted to play Sherlock Holmes. Huh. Oh, you think I can't do it? Well, I'm used to that. I've tried to get auditions for every reimagining of Sherlock Holmes in the last 10 years, and I can't even get in the door because I'm not British. Also, I'm addicted to cake decorations. Maybe more the second thing. But they did always mention that it had to be a British actor. No, man, I think you can do it. I just, I think it's kind of boring. I mean, he's just a guy who figures stuff out, right? Well, yeah, I guess you could sum it up like that. Yeah, that's corny. He's not secretly a time-traveling warlock or a lagoon monster or something. No, he's just the world's greatest detective. Well, the audience needs to go to the bathroom, too, so that's a very considerate character choice. Definitely a unique entity in podcast land. That's the Pod F Tompcast with Paul F. Tompkins. Where you can find it is paulftompkins.com. Also iTunes. So that's from, I think, his first... Could that be his first episode of this season? I think it's awesome. the well, start Paul, of his new uh, season. Paul doesn't really follow a, a strict release schedule. He kind of peppers them around. But the Pod F Tompkins is always fabulous. It's always inventive. It's always great. Now, the next... this this. A lot of times on, on Suckatash, we'll feature podcasts that a lot of people don't know about um, just because there are, as you said, a lot of podcasts out there. And just comedy podcasts alone, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of them. If you go on iTunes, your, your mind will be blown crawling through the alphabetical list of the podcasts. Um, but I have a lot of folks that have podcasts. They'll contact us uh, through at Suckatash Show on Twitter. They'll send in a three to five minute clip to mark at succotashshow.com. That's M-A-R-C. And uh, most of the time we'll play them. Sometimes the sound quality is just so bad we can't really put it up. Or it's not a comedy podcast. They'll send us something from like a music podcast or something, which is great. We support you. We love you. But this is really a comedy podcast podcast where we feature comedy. Uh, and this is a guy who I've, I've been listening to his show off and on because uh, he interviews a lot of good guests. Um, but he's very new to the medium, and his interview style is not great. Uh, but he's got a lot of heart. I mean, he keeps you know pumping these things out, and he keeps getting these great guests. And uh, just over dinner tonight, you told me that you, you kind of know this guy. It's uh, Jeremy Wayne, and it's, his show is called This My Show. And in this clip, I think he must have cornered him in a comedy club because you hear a lot of clattering of glassware and things like that. But here's a brief uh, snippet of his uh, his interview with Aziz Ansari, Jeremy Wayne, and this is my show. I'm sure like, you remember your first time, right? Um, yeah, to an extent, yeah. Did it, how'd it go? Was it good? Was it... People always ask that about people that are comedians and people that want to do comedy are always like... Oh, what a, what should I? What do I need to know for my first show? And it really could—it's the least important show you'll ever do. Mm -hmm. so it doesn't really matter, you know. The there's someone's quote. It's like the first 500 shows or first thousand shows don't matter, uh, something like that. And I think that's pretty accurate. I'm almost thinking, I I just hit 10 years of doing it, and. Um, when you start out, people always tell you, some people always believe, like, when you hit seven years, you hit, like, a certain jump, and then when you hit ten years, you hit another jump. And I definitely feel like I'm way better now than I've ever been. I almost want to put my own two cents in and say, like, the first ten years don't matter. Because, hmm. I, I don't know, it's like, it's it's such a hard thing, and I don't, I don't think people realize how hard it is to be, like, really good. I, I, 
last night I was at the Comedy Cellar and um, Chris Rock dropped in, and <laughs> and he's like just working on you know starting from scratch. And it's like that's Chris Rock. He's like maybe the most heralded comedian for the past like 20, 20 years or so. And he has to start over from fresh, and it's like anyone else. He just says nothing, and he starts up, and he starts writing, and it's really a, a hard thing to maintain for a long time. But uh, I was talking to him afterwards, and I was telling him, like, oh, yeah, I was talking about the similar thing, actually. And uh, I said, like, oh, when you hit 10 years, did you feel like a big jump? And he was like, yeah, what did you hit 15? I was like, what did you do when you hit 15 years? He's like, I did bring, bring the pain. Like, oh, I've heard of that special. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I will say this. You've had quite a busy uh, 10 years. Uh, yeah, I guess so. At least I, from my perspective, lucky. I think. Yeah, I've been very lucky. I've, I've gotten to work on a lot of uh, stuff I really enjoy. So, yeah, I feel very lucky. Well, my first exposure to you, as I'm sure a lot of people, um, was Human Giant. Mm-hmm. Um, were you... When, when that all started happening, did you have a background in sketch? Or did that just come from you just want to make funny stuff with people that you knew? Um, I, I probably closer to the latter thing. I was doing stand up at UCB, and then I was doing this show at UCB called Crash Test, where mm-hmm. I was um, it was like a weekly stand up show that I hosted. It was Mondays at eleven. That's now a show called Whiplash. Whiplash. Yeah, but um, I did that spot, and I um, I wanted to keep it interesting for people that came every week. So instead of me just working on stand up every week. I'd have a co-host, and we would kind of write sketches and stuff. And that was my first experience doing anything like that. But uh, me and Hubel, the, uh, Rob Hubel, he co-hosted with me the first week. And I was just a big fan of his, seeing him do improv and stuff. And uh, he was from South Carolina also, so he was kind of friendly with me, and we had that kind of connection. Um, and we did a bit called Shutterbugs about us being like child uh, talent agent headshot people. And then um, a few weeks later, we talked about doing that as a short film. And so we did that as a short film with uh, Jason, Jason Walliner, who's the director of Human Giant. And we just started making those shorts, and then we would just, like, show them at shows and stuff. And uh, it, was just, it was just that. It's like I enjoyed making shorts, and that was, like, the first time I really acted in anything. Um, and it's crazy because that ended up being on TV, like, the same short, like, we didn't reshoot it or anything. So, again... Uh Way to get out there and do it, Jeremy. I yeah, mean, that's what it he takes. He out there and does it. He's, I actually think I'm going to be on his show when he's because he's coming up to Sketchfest. So you can hear me out of future. This my show. So there you go. And that's he just really wants to do a podcast. And damn it, he does it. He gets it out. He puts it up, and he gets these guests. So there's nothing to stop anybody from really doing it. Uh, if you want to hear more about Jeremy, you can go to thismyshow.com. And just like every podcast, pretty much that's out there, it's on iTunes. Easily the best way to get it, or on Stitcher Smart Radio. Uh, we are on Stitcher Radio Smart Radio. So if you want to hear us or a lot of other podcasts, uh, go up to Stitcher. Um, next is I can't believe we're doing this. We're going to play another clip from another Nerdist oh, Network show. Goodness. Oh boy! Uh, this is uh, this is a guy who I think he got the itch to do a podcast just because he was on with Chris Hardwick on the Nerdist. Uh, this is, uh, I guess he's best known as Biff from Back to the Future. Oh, yes. Um, but uh, Tom Wilson has a show. He's only done like nine or ten episodes called Big Pop Fun. And he did a, th- th- a third of his episodes is uh, an interview with Steve Odenkirk, 
the comic writer director. And I think this is uh, from part three of his interview with Steve. So here's a little a little piece of uh, big pop fun. Where you were always excited and positive about the creative things you were doing, but when did it occur to you that man things are going really well? I'm, I'm, okay, I'm trying to think. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, is it, I can't answer that from a financial standpoint because I don't think I ever had that thought. I don't mean financial. I don't mean financial. Yeah, I don't think I ever had that thought once, actually. But, I don't mean but, the, hey, I'm rich or whatever. I mean, I would when say, did you just think, man, it's rolling? I would say it was when I was writing Patch Adams thinking that, Clearly, this movie is going to be this obscure, independent, feel-good film because there was no stars attached. There was no one attached. I was writing this thing about this guy taking a, a ton of liberty on his life but trying to keep the message in shape. And then I was off uh, you know, directing Ace 2, Ace Ventura 2, and while I was gone, because it had just gone to a first draft, and it was just sitting there on the shelf at Universal because they weren't going to make it, you know. Um, it was too small of a film, you know, and no one was attached. And, and while I was gone, the guy gets fired uh, that was running Universal. The new crew comes in, and Kevin Misher evidently starts reading through all these scripts that were on the shelves, which usually they don't. They just chuck them, and they bring in their own new stuff. So while I'm gone doing absolutely nothing, never did the second draft. It was a big, fat first draft, too, like 150 pages or something. And Patch Adams becomes like the hottest script in town. And I know nothing of this. I mean, I don't even know what's happening. So it starts getting sent out. Directors want to direct it. Shadyac ends up calling me going, hey, just so you know, I just got sent this thing. Your script is totally hot. He goes, I'm not going to direct it if you want to direct it. I don't want to, like directed from under you and I'm going what are you talking about so that's how I found out it had even gotten hot around had town. you met Tom Shadiak before that or he yeah because just... Tom directed the first days that's, oh, that's right. where I knew Tom from yeah. so I go well, sure I go to be honest with you I was hoping it was going to sit around for several years so I'd have time to to direct it at one point I go but yeah of course you know so then the first person he sent it to was Robin and Robin read it on a plane and committed like when the plane landed and that was definitely one of those moments where even before the film was made, I was like, okay, come on. Where's the, where's the trap door here? Where's the, where, you know, where, what's going on? You know, this is, this is like, again, it just felt like that ludicrously lined up. And then the movie ended up opening and being a big deal. You know, you're scathing, scathingly ripped apart by critics. But that's been sort of like. I think the MO of most everything I've done. So, so, so it was, uh, I think the most attacked thing ever of everything was the first Ace Ventura, you know, and then some of them ate crap afterwards, like Siskel and Ebert. But, uh, but the, uh, I still they came back and they said it was I good. St- I still wonder it. whether I physically killed Gene Siskel because the last thing I think he, one of the last things he did before he died was said Patch Adams was the worst film of the year. <laughs> uh, so that's big pop fun. You can find that over at nerdist.com also on iTunes. Uh, do you know Tom Wilson? I don't. I love him. And actually, I also love Steve Oderkirk a lot, too, because I was a big fan of, like, Kung Pao and uh, his thumb things and that kind of stuff. So either of those guys want to come and pop my culture. i got to make it happen. What else are you doing? I mean, you're in L.A. full-time. Uh, you've mentioned uh, a couple of the shows you've 
done sort of over the years down there. But what what sort of your main focus that keeps you going? Well, I mean, it's honestly, it's been the podcast, you know, for the last year or so. Like, that's where I've been putting most of my attention because between, you know, the festival and that and then occasional supplemental acting gigs, I get commercials or whatever, I'm able to make a living and I don't have to sell CDs to people anymore, thank God. Mostly because they're, they don't make CDs anymore, really. Um, so that <laughs> job's not going to be around very long. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been, like, what's really great about that is, like, in L.A., you can audition and audition and audition and wait and wait and wait and nothing will happen a lot but you kind of got to make your own breaks i think so the fact that we created this podcast that's actually doing really well for itself and getting bigger and and we're in control of it and it's our baby like it's very gratifying so between that and you know just running the festival i'm able to just kind of you know keep my creative juices going and do a lot of improv too and i'm constantly Mm -hmm. popping up on stages to keep that thing going because it's one of my favorite things to do in the world so yeah, it's fun. It's 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 good. I stay busy, and I'm not as focused on trying to you know get a part on a show or whatever. You know, when, when I get those auditions, I go on them, and occasionally things happen. But it's you know, it's nice not having that pressure of like I need to do this. This has to happen. You know, so it's, that's cool. It's been cool. And where uh, where is it going? If you had to sort of anticipate where this sort of is going to net out for you and. Five years down the road, ten years, will you still be doing Sketchfest and doing the the podcast? Will it evolve into some sort of other sort of entity, or just you're just in sort of the the grand style of improv, just open to whatever comes? Yeah, it's that. Uh, I mean, I, Sketchfest will always be here. I mean, it we love it. There's no reason for it to stop. It's just getting bigger and better. So I'm sure we'll always be focusing on that. And then the podcast, like, I'm just going to keep, we want to keep growing it. And um, I know that, you know, like Nerdist Networks is definitely interested in trying to help with cross, you know, platform stuff. And, you know, eventually uh, Comedy uh, Bang Bang is now showing IFC. And I know that Marin's got some sort of pilot thing out of that. So eventually maybe we'll be able to take this to a different medium as well as doing the podcast. Maybe do something on TV and, or whatever. So, you know, just kind of continue that thing and just kind of see where it goes. Uh, We're going to go out on a, uh, a clip that is not really a clip. It's a feature that's done for us by somebody else who's appearing at Sketchfest this year. It's our Burst of Durst with oh, local yes. comedy favorite Will Durst. And here he's talking about the uh, New Hampshire primaries. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few words about the New Hampshire primary, which is by now so 2011. It is such old news, you probably read about it in some ancient medium like a newspaper with sepia-toned goderotypes. Yes, I'm reminiscing way back to Mitt Romney's New Hampshire romp. And what a righteous romp it was. The grimacing refugee from Madame Tussauds Waxworks beat the rest of the field like a four-year-old with a dime store drum on Christmas morning and is now the first Republican non-incumbent to sweep both the Iowa caucuses and the New Hampshire primary. Ron Paul came in second this time, but poses little or no threat because, well, Ron Paul is Ron Paul. Crazy times three. The rest of the candidates feebly tried to dismiss the former Massachusetts governor's triumph in the Granite State as a isn't it nice to see the boy next door doing so well kind of thing and have set their sights on pitching their stop Romney fence around South Carolina, the next battlefield which votes on January 21st. This southern fried Maginot line is the last best chance to jump on the Mittmeister and everybody is lacing up their steel-toed boots and pounding nails into their soles as we speak. 
Newt Gingrich picked up $5 million from a single donor. Well, I'm sorry, not, not Newt himself, but Newt's super PAC, which has absolutely no connection to Newt. None. Whatsoever. At all. But either way, Romney's about to be pummeled with a series of ads, painting him as a vulture capitalist, which are guaranteed to rile him up so bad his talons will be itching like mad. The ads are so vicious that if the Barack Obama re-election campaign possessed an ounce of fair play, they'd chip in a couple of bucks. For the guy who famously said, I like the fire people, Mr. Bain Capital may be running into an entire state that feels the same way. Then again, probably not. For Succotash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst. Uh, That's Will Durst. You can catch him at willdurst.com. Also tweeting at Will Durst on Twitter. I want to thank Cole Stratton, who's been our guest this show. Thanks for having me, Mark. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming up to do Sketchfest just so you could be on the show. Yeah, that was the eleven year plan. <laughs> Appreciate it. Glad it all paid off finally. Yeah, sure did. Um, uh, so if you want, let's uh, let's give uh, a big round of plugs for uh, for you and your stuff before we get out of here. So, uh, Pop My Culture can be found where? It can be found at our website, popmyculturepodcast.com, on iTunes, also on nerdist.com. It's got its page there. And uh, if you're in the Bay Area next uh, Saturday, which is the 28th of January at 1 o'clock, we're doing a live Pop My Culture podcast at the Eureka Theater with Drew Carey as our guest. So come and see a live one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Very nice. And again, for Sketchfest, just go to sfsketchfest.com. That's it. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Cole, for being on the show. Of course. And uh, thank you for listening to the show. Uh, please remember that uh, we, too, could be listener-supported if you would click... <laughs> Our donate button. So far, the button, so people. far, literally nobody. Really? No, I've had the button up for two months. No one has sent us a dime. Some people may have pressed it and then got really scared. You know what? Stopped. And I put it up myself so the code could be wrong and maybe just nothing happens. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks so much for listening. And uh, until next time, please remember to pass the succotash. You've been listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants. And imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuckatashShow.com or at Suckatash Show on iTunes and even at Suckatash Show on your smartphone Stitcher app. Follow Suckatash on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Friend Suckatash on Facebook. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com or just pick up that phone and give Suckatash a ring at 1-818-921-7212. Suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino at Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotash.